Have you got your mojo working? Do you just want to give it a good kickstart? Either way, you've come to the right station. The Mojo Radio Show will help you get your mojo working at work and at play. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for getting on the big red bus that is the Mojo Radio Show. We appreciate you hitting the download button. If you're new to the show, this show is all about finding people that we think are interesting. We chat to them, we extract their information, their knowledge, their opinions, their views on stuff to help us get our mojo working in and out of work. This week, I've got to say, is a very interesting guest, and it's kind of, it's a new area for us. We really haven't delved into the world of kind of spirituality and how it fits in with meditation and mindfulness but i've got to say this guy has a very unique approach to it and i promise you i promise you you will enjoy this show before we start let's say good day the guy who's sitting in the driver's seat behind the big steering wheel of the big red busted is a mojo radio show um Mate, you're looking a bit uh, bit ordinary this morning, <laughs> was, to be honest. I was going to say, I, I'm still not sure I should be driving just yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little oh, dusty. Classic. A little, little dusty. dusty. Yeah, what absolutely. You, what are you up to? What oh, you school reunion over the weekend. Very big right. night. So, um, yeah, I'd actually like to say uh, g'day and um, and thanks for listening to all those people who came up to me uh, at the reunion and went, yeah, Mojo Show, mate, love it. So, um, that's that that right? very nice. Yeah, yeah, a good dozen or so. Out of, <laughs> I won't mention out of how many. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and these were all footballers too, right? <laughs> these were all footballers, yeah, g'day. G'day to the old, uh, the old school fif- first 15 too who we caught up on Saturday night as well, which was nice. Nice. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's rip into it. Let's uh, let's get started. Um, but I've got so I've got a, a new innovation to share. Okay. Monday morning mojo. Now, Robbo, if you cast your mind back, hmm. we've got a mojo radio show throwback. A throwback. Yes. Now, the reason it's a throwback mm. and not just a flashback is we are going way, way back in our history, <laughs> back to episode five, back when we mm. were young, young upstarts, anything was possible, didn't know what we were doing, we were completely clueless and some would say we still are, but yes. uh, <laughs> in episode five, wow. as part yep. of our throwback, we had Dan Gregory and Kieran Flanagan from the Impossible yes. Institute, yeah. which was a great show because... Dan Gregory is the, one of the guys from the Gruen Transfer, who were some of the great marketers of our time, talking about advertising, marketing, and all things promotion. And on the show, this is what Dan had to say when I said, if you were innovating in a business, where would you start? It's funny, one of the, one of the greatest opportunities for innovation, or one of the greatest places to look for innovation, and I think this is relevant to anyone, regardless of the size of business that they're in, is is to innovate in the boring bits, you know, to look for the parts of the, the business that are breakage points. You know, those little things that you don't pay attention to. I think a, you know, great example of that is, for instance, you know, Air New Zealand's warning videos, mm. which, I mean, the warning video is the most boring part of the flight. It's the part of the flight no one pays attention to. But Air New Zealand has actually turned it into their greatest asset. Yep. You know, they don't invest as much in TV advertising anymore because people are so busy sharing their warning videos on YouTube. I mean, and I think if, if you start with this concept of where are the boring parts in your business? How do you, you know, it might be your on-hold music. It might be how people do an online sign-up to, to your business. You know, by focusing on those boring things that people typically don't spend a lot of time thinking about, we actually get to be really distinctive in the way our offering comes to the marketplace. If I talk about innovating the boring, one thing that if I said to you, visualize an axe, Everybody visualizes a timber handle with a normal axe head on it. Mm. And for the last number of years, I spent a lot of time on the old axe. And invariably, when you come up to hard wood, when you give it a good thump with the axe, your the head of your axe gets stuck inside the block of timber. And that can take quite a while to get it out. And mm. I received on the weekend a brand new innovation in axe technology from Finland. And I've got to say, mate, it is... Awesome. Right. Does it play now, Steven Seagulls when you use it? <laughs> it might as well. Honestly, this, this thing is incredible. You really, I'll put the uh, post up on Facebook, the video for people yeah. to have a look at because yeah. you have to see this thing to believe it. It's called a lever axe and it's invented by a guy who's a, a Finnish designer. Mm. 
And he spent 10, 15 years on it and eventually got the device the way he wanted it and he put it onto Kickstarter, Hmm. which funded his now got a business making these axes. Now, it's hard to describe what it is, but the head of the axe looks nothing like what you'd expect from a normal axe. It has the normal head that hits the timber is shaped, if you if you like, like a wave about to crash. So you've got this one arm going down and then this wave that comes up on top of it. But then it's got a counterweight up near the head of it where the handle goes into the head of the axe. Mm. And that's the lever part. So essentially what you do is rather than hitting into the piece of timber and trying to split the wood, the head of the axe goes in, the face of the axe goes into the wood and it turns sideways because of this counteract and that then splits the timber off. Mm. I took the hardest, ugliest pieces of wood that I've had <laughs> for three or four years that I was unable to cut in half, mm. took it up on the weekend and these things are now in six to eight pieces. And what's really quite different and where they innovated the boring is everybody thought that the axe was an axe until this guy came up with this. And the mm. idea of it where it works is as you're about to strike the timber, you loosen your grip so the handle actually rotates in your hand and that's what puts the head into the timber, turns it and chips off the... Yeah, okay. Wow. Had I not seen it and tried it for myself, I would not have believed it. This thing yeah. is fantastic. So anybody listening, number one, it's got my mojo working. Number two, it's innovating the boring and it works. Mm. But number three is if you know anybody who is a guy or a girl in the country or someone who this time of year has a weekender and we're starting to chop timber for our fires, this thing is not expensive. Uh, It's fantastic. It works, but it's so unique. This is a wonderful piece of innovation. There you Mm. go. There you go. How'd you find that little piece of ingenuity? On Kickstarter. Okay, there you go. So I saw it on Kickstarter and mm. I, I procrastinated for quite a while because I went, I, I can't possibly, and knowing how hard out some of our timber was, I went, I can't, it, I can't see it working. Mm. But I just got to convince through watching videos and reading. Of course, then what you do is you go in like always, you go back and read all the reviews of people who've got it from all over the world who went, you know what? I didn't believe it. I was a skeptic. This thing works. So I finally bit the bullet, sent away. It arrived from Finland in a week. The customer service was extraordinary. There is a a brochure that comes with it to show how to do it. There's videos attached to it. Mm. Anyway, enough said. Mm, Very good. What else have we got this week? One quick shout out. You did a uh, bit of a shout out to all your friends Mm. from the school reunion. Um, We had a flashback from a friend of ours who's tied up in the radio industry. It was a nice shout out on Facebook from Monique Danielle. So hi to Monique. Thanks for getting in touch. G'day, Monique. Always nice to uh, come across another ex-radio person who's getting around the traps. (laughs) Yeah. So there you go. Very nice. It's good to know people are listening. Always gets my mojo going. It always gets the mojo working. We should mm. uh, we should rip into this week's show, eh? Let's do it. The Mojo Radio Show. I had an interview with a guy called Chris Grosso, who is a is a speaker on the public speaking circuit. He's a writer, recovering addict, mm. and he's a an author of a couple of books. One's called The Indie Spiritualist, a no bullshit exploration of spirituality. Mm. And his most recent book was called Everything Mind, What I've Learned About Hard Knocks, Spiritual Awakenings, and the Mind-Blowing Truth of It All. So he's a rapper, a hip-hop lover. He's into metal, hardcore, and spirituality. Chris Grosso, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. I love that. That is the most brief and yet concise intro I think I've ever had on a show. So thanks for having me on. We don't muck around here, mate. You'll soon learn that. I love it. <laughs> well, it's actually what attracted me to you, Chris, because you don't normally hear Motorhead, Slayer, Naughty by Nature and Spirituality in the same sentence. <laughs> and that's kind of what got me in. But I think just before we dive into it, Chris, uh, probably Rob and I have one question right at the head. Yeah. You're into metal, you're into hardcore, you like your Motorhead. Is ACDC, being an Australian-based brand in the Mojo Radio. Is ACDC, does that come into your repertoire of rockers? Oh, I love ACDC. I have, I certainly have a a Highway to Hell t-shirt. A fun memory, (laughs) actually, I have. Let's just get it started with a really quick story. I was, um, I was probably like 16 at the time. I had 
just gotten my license and there was a raging thunderstorm. It was like about one or 2 a.m. and I was with a friend and we were driving uh, in this crazy thunderstorm. We ended up going down to these boat docks, which was all dirt and there was no one there. And I had ACDC on and we put Thunderstruck on and we turned it all the way up. <laughs> we started doing donuts nice. in this uh in this like boat launch area with a crazy lightning storm, ACDC. There you go. I love them. Yeah, Good nice. times. Absolutely. Best, best intro to a show ever, Robert. I think so. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, think I've ever shared that story in a, in a podcast before. So I'm glad uh, I got to. Oh, mate, there'll be a lot of firsts in this podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that's, that's kind of, it's interesting to start with that, Chris, because that, that is what really caught my ear when I was listening to you on another show is the diverse range of interests you have. But at the core of it, you've written a book, um, Indie Spiritualist, your new book, Everything Mind. I'm quite curious, what sort of work are you doing like day to day and who would you normally be doing it with? Uh, like day job, professional wise, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it really, it's kind of, it's the writing mixed with the workshops that I teach, uh, along with I do some work with a nonprofit that's based out of Connecticut. I work remotely as I'm in Canada, but I'm from Connecticut. And there's a really wonderful nonprofit that I've been involved with for uh, about two years now called Toivo by Advocacy Unlimited. And I began just teaching some workshops with them and, and really connected with the people there. They're a very community-based organization that uh, does all sorts of eclectic activities that fall under the umbrella of uh, mental health. So I, you know, I, I loved it as soon as I came in. They offer essentially a lot of things that p- those who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol can't get in treatment. So they're offering... Uh, various classes on yoga, mindfulness, meditation, uh, but again, with with kind of a, a central focus on this mental health and recovery uh, uh, I don't know, centering. So I, I love that, and and I'm honored to be a part of of what they do. And um, so that's yeah, that's what I do. You know, write, teach, participate with them, and then. Uh, some odds and ends in between usually, but that's the majority of it. You write and speak a lot about spirituality, yet in in your writings, you your brand, your personal brand is very centered around a straight up, no BS approach to spirituality. How, let's just start off by you giving us your own Chris Grosso definition or how do you see spirituality in today's world? Yeah, well, great question. I, I see spirituality, there's... There's no difference between what is and is not spiritual to me. You know, we, we mm-hmm. as a human species have a tendency to set up these illusory boundaries on people, places, and things. And spirituality, of course, falls into that. Uh, but I, I don't compartmentalize my spiritual life as that of just formally meditating or if, you know, doing yoga or working with prayers or mantras or any of these other traditional spiritual practices, many of which I do use on a daily basis and are very important to me. But, uh, you know, as I write about in my books, I've had some really incredible transcendent spiritual experiences at a Motorhead concert, seeing Eddie Van Halen doing an incredible guitar solo. And, uh, and that's just the reality of it for me. So I feel that if we keep ourselves open to spirituality at all times, then then we're able to access that part of our lives. Um, So, I mean, just generally, spirituality to me is waking up to that which lies beneath just the physical self that we're conditioned to believe we are. That is part of it, absolutely. But there's so much more going on than just that. And that to me is... uh, that's just a very broad, general, user-friendly term of, of or definition of spirituality, waking up to what lies beneath the surface and exploring that. You talked about being with your daughter and paying My Little Pony. <laughs> and <laughs> that can be a spiritual moment. Just describe yeah. to me, how do, I, how do I know it's happening? And then how do I transpose that into 
the day-to-day life of somebody, say, in a business world? Sure. Well, so the interesting thing is that often when it's happening, you don't even realize it's happening Mm. because you are so fully there in that moment that that's all that there is. You are completely engulfed. So, for example, my little ponies with my daughter. You know, of course there are times when I played with her and it's like, I'm thinking about the deadline I have for, you know, my new book or this workshop or that interview I need to do. And, and that's the reality of it. However, there have also been times where there is nothing happening in that moment, except for her and I playing with those, no thoughts, just a full embodiment of that experience. And that's something that can happen like I mentioned, at a concert, it can happen sitting in meditation. It can happen while you are driving in your car on the way to a board meeting at work. It, it You're just there. You're fully there in the moment. And for some people, it just happens. They just have these glimpses. And I had actually had some of them before I started really exploring spirituality. So I didn't have any context to put around it. Uh, at the time, they were just interesting experiences, we could call them. But the more I began to learn about and uh, research and study very spiritual traditions and teachings, um, it was interesting. It's like, oh, that's what that is. And so the way we have more of those experiences or we bring greater mindfulness into our lives so that we can have greater peace and compassion, and not just towards ourselves, but other people, is by learning some various techniques and teachings and and using them, bringing them into our daily lives, making them a part of our daily life, uh, just like we would showering or brushing our teeth. And, and that's, I think, a just the most simple way of, of cultivating it and, and how we go about it. Is there something that you teach in your workshops that is a trigger something that helps people be at the dinner table and be with their loved ones, but really be in the conversation, be present and not have their mind distracted somewhere else? Is there a technique, a tool, a tip? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's many, of course, but I think one of the most user-friendly beginner ones, and when I say beginner, it's great for beginners, but people who have been practicing for several years still use this, is just Uh, a mindfulness meditation or in the Buddhist tradition, it's called Anapanasati. But the thing is, and let me preface this because some people might hear the word Buddhist and if they're not Buddhist, you know, want to write it off automatically. But the thing is, we don't need to, because even though this practice is rooted in that tradition, there's nothing inherently Buddhist about it. You're not believing in the Buddha. You're not repeating the Buddha's name. That's the beautiful thing about meditation is that you don't need to be a Buddhist or a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim to believe in the breath. It's what's always happening at all times, no matter what. And the other nice thing about that is our breath is portable. So it's, it's a wonderful anchoring device that we can use literally anytime and anywhere, whether we are in that boardroom, whether we are at the dinner table, no matter what we're doing. So a very simple practice is just by becoming aware of our breath. So all we do is we follow our breath in and we follow our breath out. So if we're formally sitting, now this is when we're alone for five minutes. Um, I recommend people do it with their eyes closed. You can keep your eyes open if you want, but I think eyes closed helps because it helps eliminate the external distractions uh, and it just becomes that much easier to anchor yourself in to the here and now. So you don't change your breath. You just become aware of it. And there's one of two places you're going to bring your attention. You're either going to place it in your abdomen area, just slightly above uh, your navel. And as you breathe in, you become aware of your stomach rising. And as you breathe out, you become aware of your stomach falling. Now you can mentally, some people like to mentally note on the in-breath the word rising and on the out-breath the word falling. That's just a a little bit of an added way to stay focused and centered. You don't need to do that, but it is an optional part of this meditation. Mm. If you don't like bringing your awareness into the area of your belly, you can also place it at the tip of your nose. And so as you breathe in, you're aware of the breath coming in. 
And as you breathe out, you're aware of the breath going out. And here you could simply say in, mentally noting in on the in-breath, out on the out-breath. The one uh, recommendation about if you do work with the tip of the nose is don't follow the breath all the way in and all the way out. Just place your awareness at the tip of the nose and be aware of the sensation of the breath as it goes in and as it's coming out. It's kind of like we're a guard um, and we're uh, letting cars come in and go out. We're not follow them, following them all the way in or all the way out. We're simply there as they come to the gate. We're aware of it. And then they pass on by. And so that's, that's it in a nutshell, a very user-friendly, brief technique. One that, again, you I recommend people do with some formal time each day, but that you can bring out literally into any part of your day. If you're stuck in traffic and you catch yourself mm. getting frustrated, if you're standing in line at the grocery store and you're, you need to be somewhere, but the line's not moving, there's, there's two options you have. Either you can get frustrated and start thinking, you know, these whatever thoughts come up and really feeding into them energetically, or you can come back to your breath. Choice is yours. Do you want to at least have some semblance of peace in the situation or do you just really want to get into it and get angry it's mm. it's up to you but you know the option is there for a, an alternate approach just listening to you describe that calmed me down <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> like I, I, honestly got- like i could just I, I was thinking about as you as you were as you were saying that and i can actually felt my body sink into the well the leopard skin couch <laughs> there it is from thunderstruck to calming meditation yeah, totally <laughs> You wouldn't want to do it during an ACDC concert, though, would you? (laughs) Well, no. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. Okay, So I don't think... I mean, you could. I'm not saying you can't, but there's a time to rock out as well. And if you're rocking out, fully rock out. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not long ago, Chris, I was at a dinner and... There was a young girl there who's a senior executive at at one of Australia's biggest banks and had been on a leadership uh, course... And part of this course, the instructor had asked the team, all, all sort of young execs, that what was really important to them. And this girl said that 90% of the people had said that spirituality was really important to them. Now, that made me really curious in this day and age. And I said, what do you mean by spirituality? Describe that to me. She said, oh, yoga and meditation. Are you finding that more and more people are particularly a new newer generation coming through, they're looking for something like they're looking more to find that space between thoughts, that time just to disconnect that silence and they're doing it through yeah. different practices. Is that, is that in your terms, stepping stones to spirituality? Yeah. And, and I do, well, I think there's two schools of thought on this. I do certainly mm. think that there is a movement of people that are looking for something deeper and exploring spirituality as a means of finding that. Uh, but at least here in, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, where I'm at, I notice a lot of younger people as well who... Um, are, are not interested in that. Um, they're very cynical towards it. And I think to a certain extent that that's a healthy thing, you know, to have a bit of skepticism and cynicism. I've spoken at uh, various colleges to younger people and I always appreciate, you know, when they have their questions and, um, and you know, they're not necessarily agreeing because that's fine. That's part of the approach I take is that in no way is anything I share ever a definitive truth. I do mm. not have all the answers. I can just share with you from my personal experience and what I've learned, what has and hasn't worked. And hopefully some of that will help you. If not, you know, then I, I wish for nothing more than you, for you to find it elsewhere. But the most important thing that I want to share with people is to find their truth. So if we're speaking spiritually, become your own spiritual scientist and find out what does and does not resonate for you on the spiritual path. For some people that might consist of, yeah, visiting various yoga studios and meditation centers or maybe churches or mosques or or whatever the case may be, temples. Uh, But for others, they might have no interest in that. And that's fine. I know a number of people who would call themselves atheist or humanist and have no interest in formal spirituality, yet 
they find their, they wouldn't call it spiritual probably, but they find, for lack of a better word, their spiritual way of living um, out in the world being of service. You know, how can I help better humanity? What what can I do to show up and and help? And, and that's, to me, just as much of a spiritual practice as one who sits in meditation for half an hour, you know, or, or prays or does whatever, you know, insert spiritual practice here. So really find out what your truth is and, and own that. Chris, what would be your primary question for someone to ask themselves to find their primary truth? Before I answer that, I think... Going back to meditation, which we were talking about you know, just a few moments ago, I think if people really sit with that practice over a period of time, uh, you know, again, it won't happen overnight, but even a couple of weeks to a couple of months, they're going to find that they will start to know themselves better. They will start to know, you know, internally this right versus wrong, um, not morally speaking, but in their lives, you know, what is right for them versus what is not right for them. Um, so that's why I can't stress enough the beauty and benefit of meditation. I mean, let alone all the physical benefits it has for you, but but really it, it's such a wonderful technique and practice for us to get to know our true selves. And there is a practice or a question we can ask that uh, is simply, who am I? It's a process of self-inquiry that was taught by a wonderful Indian sage named Ramana Maharshi. Um, and it's a question, it's, it's, it's a difficult practice because it's so easy to ask yourself that and start to answer, but then you trail off and, and this kind of tangent or that. Whereas the point of the practice is really to completely kind of churn you back in totally on yourself so that at the end of, the, of this questioning, there is nothing left and that is you. And I, I mean, I think really going very deeply into this is kind of beyond the scope of the time we have today. But the beauty of this is that when we begin asking ourselves, who am I? Some people might think, well, I am my thoughts, but that's not the case because our thoughts are very fleeting, right? And we're not fleeting, we're, we're always here. The thoughts are constantly coming and going, so we can't be our thoughts. Um, I am my body. Okay, that's part of it, but you know, the body is broken down into so many different elements and aspects and we can live without so many of them. So we're not necessarily the body either. And we just, we keep going in and in. It's a process of negation. And essentially we end up at a place where if, it, if we do kind of churn back fully in on ourselves, then all that's left is the sense of witnessing awareness. It's completely impartial. It, it doesn't judge. It just is simply aware. And so to put this into a bit more context, this awareness is the one thing that has always been there in our entire lives from the moment we were born till this present minute right now. We look at our physical bodies and of course they are much different today than they were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and so on. You know, the body is constantly changing. Our thoughts are constantly changing. Our emotions are constantly changing. Our hopes and fears and dreams are constantly changing. But the one thing that has never changed in our lives is this conscious, witnessing, impartial awareness. It has been here since the moment we were born. Some spiritual teachers teach that it has been here since before we were born and will be here after we die. Um, and it is this one witnessing awareness that we all share in common before it kind of breaks off into its own little divisions of consciousness. Again, that's for a whole nother show, but that that's it, this witnessing awareness. And that's something you can become very intimate with through the practice of meditation or self-inquiry or a, a num excuse me, a number of other means, but those are two ways of doing it. But really, I mean, what else is there? What else is, has been with us our entire lives that is not changed at all? And it's not that we haven't changed. Our thoughts, of course, have changed and our beliefs and, you know, possibly our morals and, and, and whatnot. These have all changed. But this awareness is the one thing that has not changed at all. On the same topic, Chris, you've 
You've written about the fact that we are at war with ourselves and you wrote, for many of us, we experience life in a constant battle or war with ourselves. We're plagued with thoughts of unworthiness and dissatisfaction. In some cases, these thoughts are very loud and bring some people to take their own lives. In other cases, these thoughts are more subtle, resulting in underlying sense of dis-ease in life, often unrecognisable to people because they've become so used to it. Yeah. I think that's really profound, and I think a lot of us carry that with us. How do we start to recognise that if it is subtle, and we're not at that point where it is very obvious and you, like your own self, when you went down some dark places, you got to a point where it was recognisable and you made a choice. But on that journey, you were probably in it and it was probably in a lot of cases subtle. Is there, a, mm. is there advice you give to somebody who's listening to this saying, you know what, I'm, I'm starting to sense that I'm not at ease with myself, I don't know myself, and there could be an underlying disease in themselves because I think that unworthiness and dissatisfaction is such a powerful thing that a lot of us carry. How do we start to break that down? Yeah, well, we can start by looking what are our habitual patterns and tendencies of avoidance. And what I mean by that is when, and this is where we're probably not even aware of it, but when we start to feel this underlying sense of disease, you know, one that's very low level, but we're not comfortable in the moment with ourselves um, or with whatever's going on. What what do we do? Do we turn to food? Do we turn the TV on? Do we go to buy something? Do we turn to drugs or alcohol? You know, what are these patterns of avoidance that we have in our lives that we probably don't even recognize are patterns of avoidance? And let me be clear, I'm not saying that any of those aforementioned things in and of themselves are bad because in moderation, they're all fine. But when we're using them as this means of aversion, that's a great way to start recognizing the times that we are, we do have this low level uh, underlying dis-ease in our lives. So when we catch ourselves picking up, you know, uh, some cookies to eat if we're not hungry or, you know, taking a drink, even though, you know, we know we don't really need it or whatever the case may be, turning the video games on or TV, um, that's a good place to start. You know, before we do that, and I'm not even asking you not to do that. I'm just saying if you want to become more familiar, take even just a minute or two and look at what's going on inside. See if you can recognize, are there any thoughts or is there any physical sensations? If you can't become aware of thoughts, is there a tightening in the chest or an uneasiness in your stomach or, you know, tension in your shoulders, anything, you know, can you just start somewhere, start anywhere? And that, that's how we, be, we begin to become more uh, in touch with these areas of low-level dis-ease in our lives. I mean, because mm-hmm. obviously the, the larger cases are, are usually very apparent to people. Like you say, you know, the, I wrote that some people, it will cause them to take their own lives. And in those cases, of course, those people are aware that they struggle with depression and anxiety and whatever else you know may come up with that. But it's really the, these low-level ones that are... Mm. Um, that are very hard to discern for people. And again, to go back to the practice of meditation, that's another incredible way of becoming familiar with these things. As we sit in meditation, sitting quietly for five minutes, one minute, let alone five minutes, for some people is so difficult. They Mm. do not want to be with themselves for that minute. And that's sad. Why? Why don't you want to be with yourself for one minute? The, The one person you are always with is yourself. So, I mean, just how sad is that? That we never, we're always with ourselves, but we don't want to actually be with ourselves. And why is that? You know, and and there's no one simple answer. Each person is very unique and individual in their own way. So it's always going to be a unique and individual reason as to why that is. But you know, and that's that's why we need to explore it ourselves. We need to seek out the answers. We need to have that direct experience ourselves. It is gold, isn't it? I I, mm. I would also consider that just based on what you were just talking about, that um, another big factor would be people actually finding. You know, we talk about one minute, five minutes, but you know, some people actually finding time 
to, to do what you're talking about too because, I mean, look, I mean, for me, you know, my, my alone time comes that one time of the day when you've got to lock yourself in the bathroom for five minutes, you know what I yes, mean? Sure. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, and, 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 but I think people don't understand that if you actually do go to the effort to find that time during your day, the rewards are so, you know, they're so great, aren't they? They, they truly are. And I hear that a lot. You know, I don't have time and look, mm. I get it. Like I, as just as much as anyone else, I totally understand. I, I work long days, you know, writing this and that. It, I'm constantly go, go, go. So I understand it. What I needed to do in the beginning was set my alarm clock five minutes earlier in the day. Mm. It was that simple. You know, yeah. like, sure, five minutes of sleep is very precious and valued. I understand that. But when we really start dedicating ourselves to the practice and then begin feeling the difference it makes in our lives with time, we will wonder why we didn't start those five minutes, you know, or we will wish we'd start those five minutes so much sooner. Yeah. And the other thing I say to people who, who talk about the time thing is, okay, and this isn't always the case with everyone, but for a lot of people when I ask them, well, how much time do you spend on Facebook during the day? How much time are you watching TV when you get home? You know, how much time are you doing this or that? Which again, not that those things are wrong, but is it really out of the realm of possibility to take five minutes away from that and dedicate it towards something that's really going to bring sincere and lasting peace and compassion and just general well-being in your life? I mean, I think we're all capable of finding five minutes, at least a day. And hey, even if it needs to be five minutes in the bathroom, then it's five minutes in the bathroom. I mean, we get breaks at, at work, right? 15 minute breaks, 10 minute breaks, whatever, lunch breaks. Take five minutes of that and just go to your car and and breathe, you know, quietly breathe. And if you're in a car and it's a noisy area, put on some relaxing music and just be there with the music for five minutes and breathe. That's you know, it's something, it's a start. I think it was quite profound, Chris, that I loved is why don't we like spending time with ourselves? Because I think those things you talked about with distractions and noise and social and all those things are because we just don't want to spend time with ourselves. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a profound question to, for people to sit there and ponder today is, are you happy just being in silence and stillness by yourself with yourself? Can you do it? You know, we hear about meditation a lot. We hear about spirituality. But I think that's such a profound question to say, can you just spend time with yourself without distractions, just sitting and contemplating and, and looking inward? I, um, I, reckon the, I reckon the show just paid for itself, Robert. I think big time, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> well, let me just say one thing too to listeners, though, is don't judge yourself if you have a hard time sitting with yourself for a minute mm. because... That's the kind of societies that we've grown up in and it's been conditioned. You know, that way of being has been conditioned in us. So it's not like we consciously chose this for ourselves. It's just the way that the world in most areas works. And so that's what's been ingrained in us for 30, 40, 50, however many years. So that's why I, I you know, try to emphasize that it doesn't change overnight but it can change with time and practice. And one of the most crucial aspects of that time and practice is to learn to be gentle and compassionate with yourself. And and I speak from experience because I will tell you my first year or year plus, you know, really diving into these things, I was constantly judging myself, really coming down myself because I, I couldn't go more than say 10 seconds of focusing on my breath before thought came in. And then I'd spend the next five, 10 minutes lost in thought and then come back. And I felt like I was being a failure at being spiritual as if there is such a thing, but I, I believed it. And that's not the case. You know, it, there's a lot of conditioning that we need to unlearn and it takes time. So learning to be gentle with ourselves as we do it is huge. And you know, even as I'm saying this, I'm not perfect at it by any means. I still like judge myself. And there are still times, of course, even after all these years, I still will feel a little uncomfortable in silence or with myself. And, and like I said, it's just, I'm 30, about to be 38 years old, you know? So even though I've been doing this for several years now, there is 20 plus years, 24 years before I stepped on the path of heavy conditioning. So, you know, I just, I do the best I can each day 
And as long as I know that I'm doing the best I can, that's what counts. You know, as long as I'm showing up and doing what I can. So, Chris, just I'm just going to change track for a second. Just keep that same thought. I'm just going to transfer it across to being a parent. If there was a piece of advice you would give to parents, a question they could bring to their mind or a step they could take to ensure their children are on the right path all the time and don't sort of go down these dark alleys that could lead to the wrong place. If, if you, do you talk to parents with your experience to say, you know, here's, here's the one thing you need to think about, to do, to consider, the conversation to have? Because I think a lot of us as parents are scared stiff that something's going to happen and our child will end up in that dark place which will, you know, could end up in a bad result. I think the biggest thing as parents that we can do is truly listen and really be there with our kids. You know, when we are playing with them, when we are at the dinner table, like I said, mm. I'm not perfect at it, but we make the effort and really know your kids, like really know them. Be of course, the loving parents, and I'm sure your listeners are, um, and we also need to be parents and have the boundaries that kind of goes without saying, but really show interest in what their interests are. Allow them to be who they're going to be, you know, and if if you do see them going down the dark path, then of course you need to step in and, um, and there's a number of different ways to do that. But I really feel like if we are very honestly loving nurturing and supportive and there i think that is so instrumental in setting our kids up not only for success like uh in, in you know speaking business world or professionally but emotional success which is huge of course you know and obviously it's huge but i i just feel like People, a lot of parents are more focused on making sure their kids get the good education so they'll be set up, you know, to financially take care of themselves later in life. And that's important. But let's not forget about the emotional end of things. Let's let's make sure that they're, you know, taking care of themselves emotionally. Let's make sure that they're learning what words like compassion means and that they are showing it towards themselves and others in their lives. And, you know, let's let's also do that by example. Let's learn if we don't know what compassion is. Let's explore that. And let's, so let's really get to know it so we can, again, teach by example. But really, I think that the big thing is just truly being there, truly being supportive, you know, wanting to know what their interests are and why they are, not in a way that they feel like, you know, you think it's wrong, but really yeah. like, why do you like this movie? Like, I'm curious, you know, I, I want to see what you're seeing in it or this new band you're listening to, you know, what is it about them that you like? And, and I'm not saying that all kids are going to like be psyched to talk about it, especially teenagers because they're teenagers. And, you know, I was a awful teenager, <laughs> and, you know, that's just, it's how it goes as we grow up. But, you know, that's my two cents. And again, yeah. I don't know that that's the answer, but that's what comes to mind for me. I, I would argue that what you just said probably makes doesn't make more sense but it's probably more important today than it was when we were growing up i mean you've said you're 38 i'm f i'm 46 gary's mm. only 21 apparently but when i was growing up the the emotional side of things and and dealing with the world i think because the world was a much more relaxed place probably wasn't important as it is today i think the world has changed that much that the stuff that you're talking about has probably become i think more important than an education in some in some regards yes i mean i i totally hear what you're saying um and it's it's inspiring for me to see that finally we're starting to see the implementation of practices like meditation and yoga in certain schools. There's also a backlash in some areas that are very dogmatic in their religious beliefs and, and you know, think that that's witchcraft or of the, the devil. And, you know, so it's not that things are, are constantly evolving um, or, or fully evolved by any means, but times are changing. I think people are recognizing the, the needs of the times. And I, I, I think it's really wonderful that we're starting to see more of that um, being taught to people at a younger age. It's, it's so important. Mm. 
Chris, just one final thing before we uh, let you get on to your day. Um, I I need some help with a thesis I'm doing, Chris. And <laughs> my thesis Don't be fooled, is Chris. that there's a lot written and spoken about with doing, uh, talking about gratitude and showing gratitude each day. You've spoken of it. You write about it. I know you're a, a fan of journaling and you've done a lot of journaling through your journey. Yeah. But my thesis is that if we do it at night time as one of the last things we do before we, we lay down to rest, then we go to sleep in a good place thinking good things and being appreciative and not being so hard on ourselves or society. Mm. Most people talk about gratitude journaling first up in the morning. As you wake up and you've got this ritual, you do it journaling. But I just think that with the power of the subconscious mind, doing it at night time, there must be some value in the last thing is actually being grateful and sort of showing why you're grateful in your own journal and your own words and your own little world. Yeah. Being an expert in this area, do you think, I'm a, do you think my thesis is valid? <laughs> has, has it got some traction, Chris? I, well, I like your thesis. And <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me add my two cents in on this. Uh, so you'll hear people that will say you should meditate first thing in the morning, or you should meditate at night, or you should meditate 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. As with anything, I recommend people do what, what feels right to you. If journaling feels right to you in the evening before you go to bed, because you think you're ending, or, or because you are, not you think, you are ending your day on a, a gratitude note, wonderful. The other school of thought is some people like to start their day from that place of gratitude. I say, let's up the ante and let's, why not do a bit of, even if you don't want to journal, just take a, a second. I know I've already asked for five minutes of your day with meditation, but how about we take 10 seconds just to think of something we're truly grateful for, you know, and there we, there we go. We have the mindset of gratitude. I'll tell you a, a little something I like to do in the evening when I go to bed and, and I don't do it every night, but I try to do it uh, as often as as I can, you know, when I can get out of my thoughts about everything I have to do the coming day or days um, is a gratitude practice. Uh, it's not journaling, but what I do is, and I don't remember, I didn't think of this. I, I learned it, I, I don't remember where years ago. But what I do as I'm laying there going to bed, instead of just being, you know, lost in thought, which again, still happens plenty of times, but I try to make the effort to go through the alphabet and I start with the letter A and I think about something I'm grateful for that begins with the letter A, apple, you know, just for example, I like apples. So there's A, B, um, Beastie Boys, great band, you know, and on, on it goes like just, I usually only get like, you know, a quarter of the way through halfway through before I'm asleep. So it's also a great, you know, tool to help us fall asleep. But there you go. There's a nighttime gratitude That's gold. way to end your day. So it's a beautiful practice I like to use. However, if you like to journal and really write it down in the evening, go for it. If you like to do it in the morning, go for it. Whatever works, you know? So I do like your thesis, so I do appreciate it. Two things, Chris. First of all, where can we find out more about your work? Where would you send people to? Yeah, my website has all the links to my social media and where you can find my books. Uh, and that's the indiespiritualist.com. Um, and yeah, you can find anything you want about me there. And I'd, I'd recommend people go and have a look because it's a very, I actually like the layout of it. I think it's a very cool, funky website. And there's also right. links to a lot of uh, Chris's podcasts and there are some crackers in there to listen to, to which takes you a lot deeper than we've gone today into the areas Chris has talked about, but it's uh, it's definitely worth some time to go in there and uh, have a bit of a wander around. And your books are there too, right, Chris? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you could find them on Amazon, uh, but they're they're well, they're linked there to the Amazon US page. But if anyone's interested of your listeners in Australia, you know, just go to the Australian Amazon page, and I know they're available there too. Now we haven't done this before, Robbo. And I'm going to put Chris on the spot. Hmm, but Chris, awesome. we have yeah, we have a segment called The Lessons of Rock. <laughs> and it's the great lessons we can take from rock music, rock musicians, the rock world. Now, here's the segue, Robbo. Krishna Das was the lead singer of Blue Oyster Cult, who I loved. Don't Fear the Reaper, one of my favourite songs when I was a kid growing up. 
as a lesson of rock to take us out of this show, is there a lesson of rock that you personally could take from Krishna Das? Ooh, from Krishna Das. <laughs> I I love Krishna Das. Uh, he is one of the realest guys that I know. Um, here's what I love about him. I'll, I'll say this. He makes no qualms about saying like, really, basically, what the F do I know? You know, he's like, I know that I don't know. And that's that's a start. Like I, he sings, you know, because it connects him with his understanding of God, of, of divinity, of that which is greater than himself. And, uh, and that's what he does know. Other than that, he doesn't know. And, and there's something to be said for accepting the fact that we don't know a lot of the time. That's okay. Uh, so why not embrace the unknown and, and do a bit of exploring? digging, find out what we can, what pearls may lie in that unknown. So that's, that's the best I have for you for being on the spot. Hopefully it wasn't a total wash of a way to end this, but. Uh, no, mate, it's absolutely cool. not. It's great. Yeah. That was a great, uh, that was a great lesson of rock. Well, Chris, thank you, mate. I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think Rob and I both personally got a lot out of it. Mm. You're articulate. You are very passionate about what you do. You've got a hell of a backstory that gives you the credibility to be able to talk about these things. You're open. You're honest. Um, you just sound like a really cool, centered guy. So thanks, mate. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, it was a real pleasure. And this is my first uh, Australian interview I think I've done. So uh, appreciate you guys uh, taking the time. And I, <laughs> like we were joking before, I know it's very early there. So thanks <laughs> for, for really staying true to the cause and, and showing up. That's, yeah. uh, that's awesome. Who you have to come down for a speaking to us so we can meet you or something? We'll have to organize you a few I've gigs. Actually, yeah, Gary, get him on the yeah, yeah. get him on a few gig. Yeah, I would love it. I've gotten a lot of uh, actual correspondence from people in Australia who've read the book, so it's exciting to me that it's it's known over there. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I hope to come over sometime. If I do, we'll have to meet up for sure. That's the awesome thing about this podcasting and and you know book writing and ebooks and all that sort of stuff. The world is is a much smaller place these days, isn't it? Right. And, and, and yes, and that's beautiful. Like, how cool yeah, is that? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. We hope to uh, keep in touch with you, Matt. We'd love to get you back on down the track to um, to talk about some more stuff because there's loads mm -hmm. more I had written down there, but uh, time has prohibited us from delving sure, into it. But sure. we'll, we'll get you back, mate. I, I look forward to it, guys. It was it was honestly a real pleasure, and I and I'm grateful for your time. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. That was. A very interesting show. He's a nice guy, isn't he? He is a nice guy. And I must say that for parents listening, that question about what do we do now as parents to ensure our kids don't go down that dark trail that he went down and preempting it and being ahead of the game and simply sitting mm. with children and asking them about their dreams and delving into their world. Um, I get a lot of, lot of value out of that and I think that's quite powerful for any parent to take away, sit down with their journal and go, okay, as of tonight or on the weekend, this is what I'm going to do and spend some time in their world. I thought that was, um, I really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty appreciative of coming on the show. I thought he was great. Absolutely. It's really interesting as a, as a footy coach too, watching, you know, parents ways with their kids and all that sort of stuff. And um, I'll tell you what, there's a few that I know that could do with a, a bit of a listen to that little, little part of the episode too. Well, there, during the week, I was actually speaking to a school teacher and recently a lot of the schools have gone through parent teacher interviews. And mm. he said he was quite horrified by the lack of attention that parents are giving to their children. And or there's partial attention where they're with their children having a conversation, but they've got their face in the screen. And I said, surely people, he said, no, people don't get it. He said, the parents, mums and dads just don't get how it's damaging their children and mm. the children's craving for attention, lack of attention in school, trying to prove themselves because they just want someone to talk to them. And mm. I think um, I think that show is very powerful for us all. So, um, but I just... <laughs> Lying here next to me.
what's we've got all Barry White-esque. <laughs> Not that I have a problem with that, but just what's the what's the deal with the Barry? How does Barry White tie this whole thing? You know me. I, you know I love my funny little stories. I've actually found one on the uh, relationship between sex and our health. So I thought Barry might kick it off quite nicely. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice segue. Okay, Indeed. Yeah. Look, there's, there's been a bit of research, and, and there's there's five good ones that I thought came out of um, the research into um, having sex regularly. What it does for us. So the first one is is kind of obvious. Improves your mood. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. After sex, your body releases oxytocin, which induces calm and sleep, and you also produce serotonin, which is an antidepressant. So um, that's why we we're always happy afterwards. So um, yeah. And if you're not happy after sex, <laughs> there's something going there's on. Something anyway, there's something wrong. There's something going on. Yeah. It's good for your heart. <laughs> Yeah. Now, sex is three times a week has been shown to halve the risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, in exercise terms, having sex is the equivalent of a mile-long walk or climbing up and down two flights of stairs. For you, I think, Gary, it said one flight of stairs. One flight of stairs? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I, have, I, have, I am quite portly at the moment. <laughs> Training for the tour de cure, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, now with winter just around the corner, this is another good good reason to um, to get underneath the covers with your missus um, or mister. Um, it fights off colds and flu. Um, right. Couples who made love regularly have been shown to have 30% higher levels of immunoglobulin, a substance found in saliva and the nasal lining. Um, and this is thought to help our immune systems fight off colds and flu. So there you go. Hmm. Um, it's good for your longevity. Uh, those who had sex less than once a month had double the risk of dying than those who had sex twice a week. The reason for that is it's believed to be linked to the effects of DHEA, a master sex hormone, um, yeah. which is also the building blocks for other important hormones in the body. So um, so there you go. There's a bit of chemistry going on there when you have your chemistry. Well, there's something else too mm. that uh, I have read that um, sex and or masturbation it lowers the risk of prostate cancer in men, particularly in their later stages um, of life. So wow. that is an additional reason, another health benefit, mm. is that by getting it on with a bit of Barry White as you get older mm. um, can, it can look, you know, if you're going to, if you can do anything to lessen the chance of getting prostate cancer, guys, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's another good reason to, uh, to think about that. Well, if you are a bit younger and you're having some trouble with your fertility, um, the common thinking was that you should abstain and have sex less regularly, where mm. uh, it's actually been proved that the more often you can have it, the better uh, the better it is for your sperm count and the amount of sperm with DNA damage. So, um, mm. so there you go. You have the Mojo Show's permission to jump under the sheets and uh, work towards your good health. <laughs> there we go. Well, if you if Barry White doesn't get it going for you, maybe a bit of Slash does. Oh, and, Slash gets uh, it going for me. Yeah, Slash did a classic rock track with Ian Asprey from which band, Robert? Uh, the Cult, I believe. From The Cult, correct. Mm. And they did a track called Ghost. And the reason we're playing it out as today's get out of the Mojo Radio Show is that the ghost for me is that voice inside your head. Now, when I wrote Who Stole My Mojo, I called him the Fat Bastard because Fat Bastard stole Austin Powers' mojo. And it's that voice of judgment, the voice that is always in our head looking at what we don't want to happen as opposed to what we do want to happen. Mm. And the opening lyric from the song that Slash did with Ian Asprey is, kill the ghost that hides in your soul, rock and roll. And I just like the idea that I play this song quite often when I feel my fat bastard or that voice of negativity or the voice of judgment or the voice of... I play this song and I play it loud because I think... It's that voice in the back of your mind that holds you back from achieving your dreams and being the best you can be. So mm. I think it's a great rock track. I think Ian Asprey's voice is just awesome. And mm. I think Slash's guitar is unmistakably Slash. So what say we get out with that? Turn it up loud, folks. We're out.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.